everybody. Welcome back to the Starting XI Podcast. Uh, this is Nico Kramer with my wonderful co-hosts, Matia and Spencer. How are you guys? How are you boys doing today? I'm doing all right, Nico. I'm excited to be back on the podcast. Honestly, it's been a pretty long week and really happy that all these leagues are kicking back up and especially the town league got to watch my getting to watch my favorite team today. But yeah, overall, pretty happy and good to chat with you guys today. Be back with yeah, I'm excited to be back. Uh, having the prom back this weekend was unbelievable, and I'm ready to finish the season strong. For sure, for sure. And so in order to jump right into it, we're going to start with the Premier League, in fact. And for the first game of the return between Sheffield United and Aston Villa, uh, you know, it was great to see the first game back, but the game was really labeled with the controversial call from the referees on Sheffield United's header, which was obviously past the goal line. However, it was not called even when looked at by VAR. The Premier League referees came out to say that all seven cameras were blocked at the same time, which seems very, you know, I don't know, seems quite insane that all seven cameras, yeah, suspicious, really. I mean, what? so I thought it was an obvious goal. I think it was quite clear it was an obvious goal. Matteo, what, what, what do you have to say I about mean, this? I mean, I kind of found it funny, like, when you look at the picture, there's a certain angle of the picture where you literally see the goalkeeper like yeah. hugging the ball on the on the side of the net, like yeah, clearly the behind the post. So honestly, it's like it's ridiculous because these guys have had three months of doing nothing, right? Three months, mm-hmm. they had one thing to do to make sure that was working, and it was Hawkeye or whatever they use. And honestly, okay, you can't yeah. blame the ref. You can't blame mm-hmm. Michael Oliver because. Normally, you know, when the ball goes in, it go, it appears on his watch. So it didn't, mm-hmm. nothing happened. And so he's not going to call a goal that maybe he didn't see. Um, but it's just really sad to see that the Premier League can't, can't get to, has these mess ups with the VAR. And of course, even if it happened in any other league, it would be disgusting and disastrous. But it has a huge effect, in my opinion, also on like Aston Villa, because they're going to get a, sure. a point out of this game and they're fighting the relegation and also Sheffield who might miss out in Europa League of Europa League football, possibly, you know, Champions League football if they get there by two points. And I think it's just, again, you can't tell that Sheffield would have, um, would have won the game even if they scored, but we only can go on so many things. And I think it's just a pity and it's kind of, it's a bad image. I mean, I I completely agree that it's a huge issue because also it's something that had never happened before. Like before this, there were problems with VAR and the Prem, but goal line technology had been flawless. Yeah. Like there were obviously the, that incident last season where yeah, it City. basically defined the season in that City-Liverpool game. And sadly to say it was yeah. correct, but the fact mm-hmm. that it's not working now is huge. And you do have to feel for Sheffield United because even yeah. though obviously they weren't actually going to make the Champions League, mm-hmm. uh, it still could impact their push for the Europa League and could end up costing them millions of dollars sure. by not being in Europe next season. Mm-hmm. For sure. And, you know, when I, when I think about Michael Oliver and his position – I think he every referee there on the field has faith in his sideline ref, refs and the people in the VAR room. And mm-hmm. 
when I think about with this decision, the people in the VAR room, if they were watching the normal live stream from, um, you know, the the new the, the channel, it was quite obvious the ball went in. So I'm just confused on how the people in the VAR room didn't catch up on that. Let alone where was the sideline referee? I thought it was. I thought if he was mm-hmm. on the side side of the the pitch. It's, it's quite obvious that, that the goalie is back inside the goal. So I'm just confused that this really is something that should not be happening at all. And it's really sad for Sheffield United, let alone this something that we've seen in the Premier League multiple times this year. The Premier League does struggle with VAR and the referees. That's why there were no Premier League referees in the last World Cup. And for the biggest league in the world, when the referee situation is this bad, it, it really needs to improve. Well, I mean, yeah. personally, I don't think it was really the referee's fault. I well, no, no. Like, like it's not no, his sure. or his sideline ref's job anymore mm-hmm. to look if the ball has crossed the line. They have, before this, there hadn't been a problem. And with VAR, I'm not sure if they're allowed, if that's like within their capabilities to like go against the technology. Well, Spencer, Spencer, if, if... So, like, even if it was clear, I'm not sure, like, they're allowed to say anything. Like, mm. you know how they're not allowed, say a throw-in or corner was called now, they're not allowed to, like, change it. I'm mm-hmm. sure I think that something like that, they're just not allowed to do it. For sure. So, I, mean, interesting. I, think I, that's feel, I feel this is 100% on the technology and not, yeah. like, personal blame. Nico, you can go. No, for sure. I mean, I think... That's true. I'm not blaming Michael Oliver, but I'm I'm trying to envision the person sitting in the VAR room. Um, what what's going through his head? He sees the ball cross the line. It's an obvious goal, and so I'm confused of why that wasn't called. I mean, it, and as Spencer says, if that's the thing where the referees can't intervene, if the referees can't intervene on a clear goal that wasn't called, I, I don't you know that that's just another issue to get into. I and. That, that needs to be switched. I mean, I can't, you can't have clear goals like that being non-called, especially when someone's in the VR room with the technology, watching the game, and they're still not going to intervene with the referee's decision. And, and we've seen that, again, we've seen that in the league multiple times this year. We know the Premier League referees do not want to go to the sideline monitor, which would have helped once again. It's only happened one time in the Premier League this year. And, I mean, this is, this is an issue, issue that, the referee association um, and the head of the referees in, in the Premier League really need to fix because it can't be happening multiple times where VAR is failing to get the right call, and especially on, on one that's so obvious like this one. Yeah, I just want to put it out there for anybody listening that I'm putting my I'm sliding in my application to be a VAR official for the Premier League for next season because seemingly anybody <laughs> can do it. Yeah, but. I mean, if you're in a truck with like yeah. seven TVs in front of you, how many more angles do you need? Is my question. But I don't know. It's kind of funny. No, yeah, I don't know. It's just. I mean, it makes no sense. Yeah. Well, continuing on in, into the Premier League, we also saw Man United tie against Tottenham. Very, very important game for both teams who are chasing the, those Champions League spots, both for Mourinho and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Uh, was it a penalty for Man U at the end, you guys, uh, with the tackle? I think it was Eric Dyer who, uh, with Bruno Fernandez, the ref initially called it a direct penalty, but went back on his decision. Uh, was it a penalty? And what do you think of the game? 
Uh, personally, I felt it was one of those 50-50 challenges that could go either way. So I feel like once it was called a penalty on the field, it wouldn't have been overturned by VAR and vice versa if it was clean, clean on the field. VAR wouldn't have mm-hmm. overturned it. But mm-hmm. overall, I think mm-hmm. neither team would have been particularly happy with the result. I think both viewed this as a game where they could push up against Chelsea and close in on that fourth spot if Man City's ban doesn't get overturned. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. I feel the real winners of that game were Wolverhampton, who once again are just pushing closer and closer to the to that top four spot in. I think yeah. could really make yeah. a run at that at the Champions League spots this year. Let's hope. For sure, I mean, it was, I thought Bruno Fernandez did go down a little easier. I don't think Eric Dyer really had sufficient contact with Bruno Fernandez. But another controversial call in the game, which which did lead to a penalty and a goal for Man United, their one goal was Paul Pogba also on Eric Dyer. Pogba sees, seems to go around Eric Dyer before Eric Dyer pushes him in the back. And at first glance, I think this is an obvious penalty, 100%. But if you watch the replay, Paul Pogba does take his back leg into Eric Dyer's legs and goes down. So I'm just wondering, do you guys think that this was a penalty or maybe it was a little theatrical from Paul Pogba? Well, first of all, I wanted to... I was really happy to see Paul Pogba back on the pitch after so yeah. long. And he's just one of the players that I love to watch. And I think he had a big influence on the game and w- once he came on along with Mason Greenwood I believe he had a he had a pretty big influence on the game and he had some he pinged some wonderful balls notably to Marcus Rashford but that that penalty I, I believe was a penalty and it was justly called and he had a wonderful bit of skill to get around Dyer and when you're in those situations with with Dyer you just can't you can't like when you're behind him you can't Any contact. contact him because he's a professional yeah. Pogba and he's even though it, he might be a little, he might be going down a little easy. It's that's part of the job at this moment in time. So I think it was justly called, and Bruno Fernandez put it away really nicely. And yeah, for sure. But also in the game, not only was there a penalty, but the spotlight shone shown a lot on De Gea for for bad reasons. What what do you guys think of his performance? Yeah, I mean, David De Gea, we know, is one of the better goalkeepers in Europe. But since that World Cup, and especially since that Portugal-Spain game, he really hasn't been himself. It seems as if he's able to make the amazing saves, which we saw a few minutes earlier after his later after his mistake. It was an amazing save um, mm-hmm. with, his, with his weak hand. But it seems as if the easy ones, he's unable to, you know, to, to easily get. And we saw in the dive of, of that goal, his right hand is, is in a ball ready to punch the ball away. And his left hand is spread out, ready to palm it away. Mm-hmm. And to me, I, I'm not a goalkeeper. I don't know much about um, the goalkeeping tactics, but it doesn't seem as if, you know, you want one hand doing a punch, the other hand palming it away. It seems just a bad, bad form. Mm-hmm. And I think it's becoming, De Gea is really becoming a liability for Man United where you just don't know, you don't, you don't know what he's going to say. And that's, that's an issue, especially when you have, a defensive line that has struggled in the past. You really don't know what you're going to get out of De Gea. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, De Gea, for so many, it's just so crazy to see him drop off so quickly because for so many years yeah. he was Man United's best player. He was saving them so often, but now 
like it has to be said, he's a liability for them. This season, mm-hmm. he has cost them points. I don't think he's fit anymore to be their goalkeeper. I think it could be time for them to bring in Dean or bring Dean Henderson back from loan at the end of the sure. season and either give him the job or have him challenge De Gea for it. But mm-hmm. I just mm-hmm. think De Gea is a liability at this point. Yeah, I mean, speaking a little bit about Dean Henderson, I want to hear you guys' opinion on this because <clears throat> it's it's something that's going to be going around the minds of Man United, uh, the board, and anybody involved in Man United. But honestly, in my opinion, I think Dean Henderson, it would be better for him to stay at Sheffield United and for another year on loan um, to not be under that spotlight that, that Man United is and so that Man United, I think De Gea is more an, an experienced goalkeeper. And so he can still stay at Man United and he can be a starter there. And in order to let Dean Henderson develop a little bit more at a smaller club and then come when mm-hmm. it's his time back to Man United and start and play well. For sure. I mean, we saw Man United give De Gea the huge contract on huge wages for an extension mm-hmm. just a few months ago. And I think I think you're right. It is better for Dean Henderson to be guaranteed playing time. But I think, as Spencer stated, it's a true, it's a true hard situation because I do believe yeah, Dean Henderson tough. could come in and compete with De Gea. And he, if he's willing to take on that challenge in order to be a starter for Man United, then I mean it's gonna it's gonna be hard for him. But I could definitely see him doing it. Mm-hmm. And then, I, you know, we saw a few years ago De Gea was so close to joining Real Madrid. You know, the papers were three minutes late from Man United and. I, I don't know if that would have changed his overall, you know, career and outcome. But I just feel as if De Gea almost doesn't really want to be there in a sense. It, it doesn't. He doesn't seem comfortable in Man United. Doesn't seem comfortable in between the six, um, for the club. And I'm and I'm not sure if he's going to be willing to continue on there for, for very much longer, especially for Man United. I I think Dean Henderson, he's a great player, and. In, in some respects, I definitely think Man United should bring him back in order to make the hair really step up his game. Because if he keeps going the way he is, I'm not sure he's going to be the Man United first team goalie for much yeah. longer. Yeah, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see, honestly, to see where De Gea might land this summer if they want to sell him or if he's going to stay. But moving over to Spain, we saw the return of the La Liga after so many, so many months and weeks. The Spanish fans and La Liga fans all over the world got to enjoy. Spanish football once again. Real Madrid, we saw Real Madrid beat Valencia 3-0. Uh, meanwhile, Barcelona tied Sevilla 0-0. So we see Real Madrid go top of the table, uh, both even on points, but Real Madrid better on head-to-head because they won the, the El Clasico recently. Uh, what did you guys think of these games, honestly? And shout-out, quick shout-out to Benzema's wonderful volley in in the game. And it Asensio being back and assisting and scoring was just remarkable. And we're all happy, surely happy to see Asensio back in form and back on the pitch. For sure. And, you know, we can get, we, we can start off with the round with Jaden Valencia. In the first half, it was, it was pretty shaky for Madrid, if I'm being honest. Rodrigo one-on-one hits the post. Valencia scored only for it to be called up, called back with inches off sides. Mm-hmm. But in the second half, Real Madrid really took over. Not only that, but Valencia truly fell fell apart in the second half. It was yeah. it was quite sad to see. And 
yeah, you know, Sensio comes back from injury, scores on his first touch. I thought was amazing. Benzema had um, an amazing goal. He's been he's been involved in forty percent of Madrid's goals this year, which you know I think for for a striker that that, that is that is really I mean that's, that's true leadership from from that team that he's shown. And you know, moving on to the Barcelona Sevilla game, it was you know it, it was it was a crazy game. I thought Barcelona really were tested at certain moments in the game and not being able to get the result, it does put pressure on Setien. We fall to second in the league and that's that's uh that's hard for them, but you know, I, I think it's gonna be really close. It's gonna be really close to see who wins La Liga. Mm. Uh yeah. You brought up Benzema's performance and I feel that he's definitely a player who's been very underrated recently. And mm-hmm. I just feel that for so many years he's been so heavily criticized and he's finally kind of getting some of the respect he deserved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For sure. And then we saw, of course, um, just yesterday Madrid beating. We also see that 2-1, which put them ahead of Barcelona. As we know, same level on points, but in La Liga goes head-to-head, four-goal differential. Madrid has that, um, that win in the Bernabeu in El Clasico. And, you know, this is a very controversial game. Uh, the first goal for Real Madrid play, getting into the box. He shoots it, and then it's fouled. Um, some people think it's not a penalty. I, I thought I thought it was, a, it was a definite penalty. It was late. He st- stomped on his, on his foot. Ramos converted. And, you know, then we saw um, – we also see that scoring. It was called offsides because of a player in front of Thibaut Courtois. Do you guys think that was offside? In my opinion, it was. I thought the player interfered with Courtois' eyesight, but you know, what, what do you guys think about that one? That's a really tough, tough call to make. Yeah. Honestly, I have to respect the referee for making the call. I think, on, I mean, the rule is if you're involved in the play and you find yourself offside, uh, whether you touch the ball or not, it's it's going to be called. It's a little harsh on Real Sociedad, uh, and I personally really really hope Sociedad pull through and make it to the to European football next season but mm-hmm. I think it was the right call at the end of the day because it's an opposing player and it was he was in an offside position by by a meter at least and he was probably disturbing Theo Courtois' view probably yeah. I, I say that but nobody can know other than himself but it's a little harsh but good good call For sure, and then we saw for only minutes after that, um, Madrid made it 2-0 with Benzema's goal. Another very controversial goal. Called a goal on the pitch, went to VAR. The referee did not go to the sideline uh, camera, which I thought was very interesting. It, this is a really hard call because I think it. I think the ball is half on his shoulder and half of half on his arm. I'm just not sure how you how you call that. I mean, I'm, it's not that detailed in the rule book. But what do you guys think about this? I mean, again, so many like VAR, VAR incidents are just kind of a matter of opinion. Like mm-hmm. I feel the one thing with the handball rule, there's no, it's not really consistent throughout. Like all refs have kind of a different interpretation, mm-hmm. and so I just feel like it all depends on who's refing the game, what the ref thinks, and on a lot of these close incidents, it's not 
VAR can't really overturn the call. Yeah. It's it's weird because when you look at a photo facing facing Benzema, it looks like he's using his hand, right? His right hand. Mm-hmm. But for anybody that watched the game and you saw it from the his backside, it kind of looked like he he was using his shoulder. So it's a really, really tough call. Yeah. And honestly, I think at that point, if unless the ball is completely on your shoulder, your arm your arm is gonna be helping the ball move where it want where you want it to be. And at that point I think you can call it a handball. But again, it's very, very tough call and I definitely agree with Spencer. Every ref has a different way of doing it. Um but yeah. Yeah, for sure. And of course that was the game that put Ramonji on top of the league. And so that brings the question, uh, you you two uh, stated in previous podcasts, you had Barcelona win the league. I said Madrid. Has your opinion changed at all, or are you guys going to still continue with Barcelona? I, I'm ready to change my opinion. I think, even though it's early on since the mm-hmm. since the start of the since the resuming of the league, I think I really love what I'm seeing from Real Madrid, and the. Hazard has stepping has been stepping up, and a lot of the players have been getting into the groove, and they got a very good player back in Asensio. For sure, but and honestly, for Barca, I think it's tough because I really saw them struggle against Sevilla, and honestly, Sevilla is not an easy team to to beat by any means. That's why they find themselves in third place. But I saw a lot of the players on Barcelona struggle, and it kind of worries me for what Barcelona are going to do, especially this year in, in the Champions League, not only in the Liga. I mean, I just feel it kind of shows, like, the difference uh, the right manager makes. Like, I feel yeah. Zidane is the complete right man for the job in Madrid. He knows the players, he knows the squad, and he's able to get the most out of it, whereas... Setien just isn't like yeah. I feel on paper Barcelona should win the league every single time. Their team is better than Madrid. for sure. They have Lionel Messi, the best player of all time. But this entire season, they haven't had the right person in the manager's job, yeah. and it's it's hurting them. It's clearly hurting them. Mm. But I still think they'll be able to pull out the league title. I just don't think. Madrid are going to be able to keep up their form down the stretch. And at some point, I think Messi is going to provide the difference in a game. For sure. I mean, it's, it's going to be really close. And we see prime, a prime example of Barcelona. The reliance, on, the reliance on Messi has just become too much. It's too much for Messi to handle, I think. He didn't do much in the Sevilla game, and which means, of course, you know, the whole the whole Barcelona team doesn't do much. And I think that's an issue that they're going to have, especially when Messi leaves. Um, it's going to be a huge problem for them. And, you know, another huge point about Barcelona is Braithwaite, who was an emergency signing from Leganes, has been getting the start, start over Antoine Griezmann, who, who really just hasn't been able to show or do much since he's moved to Barcelona. Uh, I mean, what do you guys think is the holds for, for Griezmann's future? Well... This is I love Griezmann because he was a he was an essential part of that France World Cup winning yeah. team, and he always holds a special place in my heart. And 
immediately, I've said this before, I never thought this was a good move for both parties. Yeah. And I kind of could see Griezmann not finding his spot in Barcelona. That being said, uh, he didn't have an awful season. Like, it's not, it wasn't a bad season by any means. But the fact that Barcelona would rather start Braithwaite over um, Griezmann is just insane to me. And, Maybe who knows? Maybe Griezmann could have gotten, could have made the difference in on that in the Sevilla game, but he came on late. But it was it was too late. Obviously, I just think it's incredible. Why would you start Braithwaite over Griezmann? Here's the thing. It's just insane. I mean, you know, on paper, on paper, it is insane. Yeah. See Martin Braithwaite starting over Antoine Griezmann, but when watching the games, it seems almost as if Braithwaite can can be. Just kind of a, a fitting more with Suarez and Messi than Griezmann is. Of course, we know Griezmann is not playing on his preferred position, playing on the wing. Mm-hmm. So now he can, you know, show his talents. But it seems as if Braithwaite is almost more of a of a piece that fits in with Messi and and Suarez. And I think that's really Griezmann is in his head is not there just to be another a role player to to Messi mm-hmm. and to Suarez. Whereas, no, I disagree because I mean. Honestly, yeah. the thing about Griezmann is that I don't think his position, his natural position at this moment in time is that left wing. I think for him, it's yeah. it's more of a center forward cam role, uh, more so, where he can really dictate mm-hmm. the game and be that centerpiece of the of the team, which he did with the France team in 2018, where he was really... And athletic. Yeah, and, and athletic, where he was... He started out young at... Uh, young on the wing but he moved into that center role where he can really be a centerpiece of the team and be that man that takes the ball from the back up to the front and really redistributes really well and when you have Messi on your team you can't you can't be doing that because that's Messi's role and when you have Suarez playing striker you can't be doing that and so Mm. of course Braithwaite fits in a little bit better because again he's a smaller player in terms of popularity, so he doesn't want the spotlight. He'll, he would rather pass than go for the skill move. And right. I really hope Griezmann gets a move out for the better of his future. But moving on to to Italy, going over to to Italy, where we saw the final of the Coppa Italia between Juve and Napoli, where we saw Napoli win at the end in penalties. What were your thoughts on, on this final? And what does this mean for Juve? Well... <laughs> some as the season, but I think it really shows a big part of the season has been where it's an in- I think Sorry is the right man for the job. I, his philosophy did work at Napoli. I don't think it's going to work at at Juventus. And, I mean, the, the best the, the best player for Juventus was Buffon, and that's really saying something. I thought Ronaldo was was you know I didn't, I didn't even know he was there. To be completely honest, in the second half he was, you know, disappearing. I thought Juventus weren't playing well, and I, I think Napoli were the, were the deserved winners. Yeah, yeah, and once again, one of the stats that just blows my mind is this is the first time Ronaldo has lost back-to-back finals in his entire career, and it just shows yeah. how mm-hmm. how insane of a player he is in the clutch moment. How he always seems to show up in finals when it really counts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have to take into consideration that 
the the first final that he lost this year was against a very strong Lazio team. Mm-hmm. And Lazio really surprised us all. But in this game, guys, I think not Ronaldo's always kind of known for having a slow start to the season, right? Mm-hmm. So that might be one of the things that are affecting him right now. But I really he's he's slow off the ball. He's not getting the dribbles through. I think age is really catching up to him, even though he will deny it at every moment he can because obviously <laughs> visually it doesn't look like age is ca- catching up to him. But yeah. I didn't see a good Juve. I I don't agree with Nico because Sari is still in his first year, hasn't even finished his first year. And as we saw at Napoli and, uh, Napoli and Empoli, it took time to develop a team that could play Sari yeah. ball, quote-unquote. And he needs a good midfield in order to play that Sari ball. And honestly, he's having problem with Ramsey. And with Bentancourt, Pjanic, and Matuidi, I don't know how how fittingly that 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 works with Sari. And I really want to see Juve make moves, not for a player like um, what's his name, Raúl Jiménez, this summer, but yeah. for a player in the center mid. Like it's so obvious. For sure. And, and, and yes, Mister Gordon. That bringing up Juve making moves, of course. It had just it's just been reported that they made a swap deal for uh, mm-hmm. Artur from Barcelona and for Pjanic, which is a huge move for them as Pjanic has been one of their key players in the cent- center of the park this season. And it just shows that they are trying to make improvements where they can. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, and talking about the transfer, transfer I think it, I – in all honesty, I'm not sure it really boosts any team in my in, in my opinion. I don't think Arthur is is gonna help Juventus a whole lot. I don't think Pjanic is really gonna go and do anything for Barcelona. So I think it's a strange move. Um, but I mean, I guess that's what both teams wanted to do, and it, and it was finalized. Mm-hmm. And moving on to the the news, more news section of the of the podcast today, we saw Arsenal lose back-to-back games, one against Manchester City, of course, 3-0, and the other against uh, Brian Hove and Albion, um, 2-1. This is this is a shambles for Arsenal. What's going on? Any solutions, guys? Where's the leadership? I mean, I feel the leadership has to come from Mikel Arteta, I think, but I don't think he is the problem. I feel the problem is the lack of effort shown in the squad. I feel mm-hmm. that so many other players just don't seem interested. Lacazette was horrible this on mm-hmm. Sunday. Uh, Nicholas Pepe did one thing all game, yeah, which was a goal, so fair play to him. But Aubameyang gone, gone missing. Leno had saved their team so much and was definitely their best player this season. He's gone. David Luiz is a shambles. Mustafi's mm-hmm. even worse. So I just feel yeah. <laughs> yes, there are, are so many there are so many problems within that team that how many holes can though, you plug? Yeah. <laughs> even though leadership should be coming from the manager, like there's nothing he can do. There's I mean, there's so much he, he can do. He's faith er, there's nothing he can do at the moment. Like yeah, without a transfer window, 
Like, yeah, yeah. He, he's struggled in his six months in charge. Freddie Youngberg, even though he was interim, couldn't corral the team. Mm. Unai Emery couldn't do it. Arsene Wenger couldn't do it. So I just feel that there are deep-rooted problems within Arsenal. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I think they need a massive overhaul this summer to change it. Mm-hmm. 100%. And, and when we talk about leadership, I think about leadership on the field. I don't see a leader for Arsenal on the field. You know, Gunduzi going around, and, you know, choking people after the game. It's just you need a leader, a captain, to really control these young guys. And I think I, I don't see anyone out there really taking control or responsibility for what's going on on the pitch. I think, as Spencer says, Mikel Arteta can do what he can off the pitch, but when it goes on the pitch, you know, you need a vocal leader. I just don't think Arsenal has a single player that can really fill into that role. And Spencer says it, and, you know, you can go through every player on Arsenal, and there's just few that are really the, at the level of players for, for a club like Arsenal. And it's hard because, you know, uh, an overhaul is definitely something that would, would be a benefit. But, you know, we've seen Arsenal in the past with lack of funds and limited funds. I'm not sure that they can really do that in one transfer window. So it might take mm-hmm. multiple, four, three or four. And I think Mikel Arteta uh, playing, he needs to get a consistent start, starting lineup. I, I didn't like that he switched from young guys, a few young guys against Man City, to now the, the more experienced players against Brighton. But... It's it's hard because I as Spencer says he really doesn't have the players or the talent that Arsenal should have, and I, I'm, not, I'm really not sure where Arsenal or, or Mikel Arteta go from here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're right, Nico. I, it's it's tough for for Mikel Arteta because he's been handed this job that's really really challenging. And I heard one of the guys on ESPN said this say this, and I I was I completely agreed. I think Mikel Arteta is going into it. He played for Arsenal, right? And he played for very good Arsenal teams. Yes. So mm-hmm. imagine he the, he signed the, the shock. Imagine the shock that you go through when you're you're going from playing in a world-class Arsenal team to this to managing this team. And again, I said this, it's, there's only so many holes you can you can fill in this next transfer window with not a lot of money and I agree with Spencer. There has to be a leadership on the field. And the Leno injury was really disgusting. And yeah, I really didn't like the attitude of, I don't, I don't remember his name, but I, I didn't Mope. like his attitude. Mope, I didn't like his attitude, yeah. even though his goal at the end was brilliant. That's a huge loss because Leno is just, as Spencer said, he was one of the best, best players on the team. And apparently it's rumored that Arsenal are so desperate that they – they're even considering to bring to bring back uh, Joe Hart to play out the rest of the season, but again, it's a shambles, and I don't I don't know what they're gonna do moving on. Yeah, it's complicated. For sure, for sure. Um, but moving on into um, another news topic is Timo Werner deciding to leave Leipzig and their Champions League run in order to join Chelsea. Six weeks earlier in July, he can't play for Chelsea. He can't play, um, well, with, or train with them, of course, while being on Leipzig. So he's deciding to leave six weeks earlier. And, you know, we saw Le- uh, Leipzig and Dortmund go, go up head-to-head this past weekend. On uh, the game, Leipzig looked pretty pretty horrible. Non, no creativity, no, no really drive. 
to win the game, and let alone Timo Werner, who had a horrible game, and people have been going on on um, social media about his attitude off the pitch when he was going sitting down in the dugout laughing and, you know, not really paying attention to the game. And I think he's really checked out from Leipzig. He's really checked out. And he's focused on Chelsea. I, I think this is really unprofessional of him. Leipzig, but Leipzig have given him a platform in order to show his talents, which really got him to move into Chelsea. And I think this is going to be, you know, this is going to be really interesting how, how the relationship between Leipzig and Warner plays out. I mean, personally, I feel that it's actually a horrible attitude from yeah. Timo Werner. I mean, mm-hmm. this is prop. This is probably going to be one of the best chances he has to win the Champions mm-hmm. League in his entire career. This Leipzig team is very strong, and especially with the way it's formatted now, they just need to string together three straight wins, and they're champions of Europe. Yeah. And he's just pretty much going to be missing the end of a Premier League season he can't even play in yeah. to have a chance at European glory and write his name into history. And I just can't believe he's checking out like this. Yeah, it's so disgusting. Like, when you when you see his attitude on the bench, he's laughing. He's, he's, he's just having – he's just have, taking a piss, honestly. And it's disrespectful to the club that – basically formed him and and gave him that platform to go on and move to Chelsea. Once again, I think this shows that maybe Klopp knows what he was doing in not signing Werner because I think it shows that he might not have the best attitude if the moment like something new happens, he's completely checked out. So I feel like it could be a could be one of the reasons why uh, Klopp chose not to sign Werner at Liverpool. Mm-hmm. For sure. And we want to another topic is Leroy Sané's reject- rejection of a new Man City contract. I think it's pretty obvious that Bayern are definitely the front runners for him. I think Sané does want to move to Bayern. What do you guys think about this? I think it's... It's complicated. It's a complicated move because they're going to be leaving a gap in that position. I, I believe left, no left wing, maybe I don't know. It's they're going to be leaving a gap in that position where, of course, they have depth. But Leroy Sané is really a world class player, and of course, Bayern are in need of a of a winger because of Komen and how this last season went for him. I think it's a Good move for Leroy Sané because, of course, he's going back to the to his home country. He's playing for the one of the best teams in the world, and I think this says a lot about Man City and their future and how they're going to have a lot of trouble keeping keeping players in the next for the next two years if their Champions League ban gets uh, gets confirmed. I mean, yeah, but. I feel like if their Champions League ban gets confirmed, I don't think Leroy Sané is going to be the only one leaving. Yeah. I feel mm-hmm. that Sterling's going to leave too. De Bruyne mentioned in the past. He didn't say directly he was going to leave, but he said something like two years is a long time without Champions League. Pep set, has said he's going to stay, but he's also said that the board has told them they're 100% sure they did nothing wrong. So I feel that 
if it shows the board was lying to him, that might change for him because two years without the biggest prize in European football is a lot, especially for a team like Man City, who at this point, their main goal is to win the Champions League. They've yeah, won everything what else. To do. Yeah, he hasn't won it in like eight years since he last won it at Barca. Mm-hmm. So I feel it will be hugely damaging to Man City if the ban gets upheld and it could spell the end of Pep's tenure there. Yeah, sure. And go on, Nico. No, for sure. And I think I think this was Spencer's bringing up is a valid point that Liwasani may not be the only one to leave Man City, but if he is, you know, looking at Man City's bench with Riyad Mahrez and other players, I think Man City will be okay um, for a mm. short period of time without. I mean, I think Mahrez and Bernardo Silva and Aguero and Sterling, I think that's plenty of a of an attacking force in order to well, compensate. If yeah, listen, if I'm if I'm Bernardo Silva right now, if I'm Riyad Mahrez right now, I'm at Riyad Mahrez is in his prime years right now, guys. Bernardo Silva is approaching his prime years, even though he's young. He's a very very good player, who could be a starter on a Champions League winning team, in my opinion, and or at least a bench player who gets solid minutes. And so I don't think Man City have that much depth that they can build a squad that is willing to miss European football for two years yeah, and can mm-hmm. compete yeah. for even a top four, top six position in the Prem. I don't, I don't see it. For sure. And especially if Pep leaves, I don't know who'd... Yeah, for he's sure. He's one of the main draws to coming to Man City. Like, everyone wants to play under either the best or second best manager in the world along with Jurgen Klopp. So Mm -hmm. I don't see them making any new, any grand grand new signings if Pep leaves as well. So I think this is a huge decision for them. Mm -hmm. For sure. And moving on to, um, in relation to Bayern Munich is Robert Lewandowski. And, you know, I think we need to talk about him as a whole in all competitions this season. 48 goals in 41 games. I think he's showing that he's, you know, by by a good reach, the best number nine, best striker in football. And, you know, begs the question, is he, or he is Bayern your huge candidate. If Bayern Munich win the Champions League, which is, you know, a huge possibility at this point, I think they are the best team in the world right now. Mm-hmm. Do you guys think Lewandowski should be awarded the Bayern d'Or? Yes. I think... I, I'm presuming this is because I'm predicting that Bayern not only win the DFB Pokal against mm-hmm. Bayer Leverkusen later on, and even if they make semifinals or the finals of the Champions League, which I think they probably will, yeah, uh, is it's almost guaranteed. He has a very good chance because, again, this is one. Of, I think I believe it's one of, if not his highest scoring season, and. He's just been the centerpiece of this Bayern team that's just been banging in goals left, right, and center. And since January, he's just been unstoppable. Like, it's crazy to see how, how good Bayern have been and how how they've been able to transform uh, during that January transfer window and dur- after the, the Christmas break. It's just remarkable. And I think if they manage to win not only the German Cup and make it to the final uh, of the Champions League, I think Lewandowski is is a better shout than 
than the two goats because of of the way that they've been playing recently. Yeah, but I think it all kind of depends on who wins uh, the Champions League and all that because I feel every year it's kind of the deciding factor because at the end of the day, the best player in the world will win the biggest trophies in the world. So mm-hmm. I feel that it'll likely come down to that. Yeah, and for sure. Speaking of speaking of that, uh, do you guys because of Juve's recent form and obviously Ronaldo is trying to get another Ballon d'Or like anyone else? Uh, do you think? Do you guys think because of Juve's recent form, being one nil down on aggregate against Lyon, do they do they have a chance of getting knocked out? That have a chance of being knocked out, but I think even with the form that they've had recently, they're better than Lyon, and they're going to be able to overcome that um, 100%. Mm. Yeah, uh, I also think that also Ronaldo and the CL is a different animal, and I think he could come up big, especially since it'll be later yeah. on when he's had some time to settle in, and yeah. is it'll not be as early in the season for him. But moving on, moving on uh, this past weekend, Richarlison called Van Dyke overrated and proclaimed that he, he is the fifth best def- or fourth best defender in the world behind Ramos and his fellow countrymen, Thiago Silva and Marquinhos. And I just wanted to hear what you guys thought about that, if it was just some kind of pregame... Uh, trash talk to get in Van Dyke's head or if he actually believed it? I think this is like really childish because if you're going to try and piss off the best defender in the world, don't do it right before you're going to play him. And of course the game ended nil-nil and so Liverpool came out of the game pretty disappointed. But to say Van Dyke is overrated, and to compare him to players like Marquinhos, of course, Marquinhos has a lot of, of, of talent, and he's a very good world-class center back, but no way is he better than Van Dyke. That's just ridiculous. He thinks, I think it was a lot of a pre-game, kind of trying to get in Van Dyke's head sort of situation. I think um, Marquinhos... And Thiago Silva are not on the same level as Van Dyke. I think Ramos has more of an argument, but even then, you know, I think Van Dyke has shown in the you know these seasons that he's 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 the best center back in the world. And I think Richardson, as you saw in the game, wasn't able to create much, even though he had a few opportunities. And I thought he could have netted one in the second half. But I, you know, I think it's more of a mind game trying to get in Van Dyke's head than what he really thinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that effectively ends this episode of the Starting Exide Podcast. Thank you for all the viewers that keep coming back time and time again. Uh, we really enjoy the support. And we're going to have a player interview coming out this Wednesday. It's going to be very exciting. And, mm-hmm. you know, thank you guys for the support. And can't wait to see you in the next one. Mm-hmm.